want to extend a warm welcome to those of you in the room with us uh, this morning, as well as those who may be joining us via live stream online. So happy that you're here with us as we launch into the month of October. Hard to believe, man, we're already in October, but here we are right in the middle of, of fall, my favorite time of the year. And a couple of things I just want to bring to your attention or keep on your radar before we get going with uh, the message this morning. One is just to reiterate what Pastor Rodney mentioned for the dudes in the room, man camp is coming up in two weekends. And so please plan to come out for that. It's going to be a blast. Even if you can't stay the whole weekend, come for part of the weekend, come for the day of Saturday. Uh, man, it's always an incredible time. And, and Spencer is, is humble, uh, but he's a professional chef, has worked in amazing restaurants. And so the food is always, it's worth the, the price of admission just to eat Spencer's food on the weekend, not to mention throwing axes and shooting guns and sitting around a campfire just being dudes. And so great time. Please sign up for that. You can sign up on the website. There's also a QR code uh, over the urinals in the bathroom. So guys, if you need to go hit the bathroom, just scan it. And uh, you can sign up for Man Camp in two weeks. And then the very next week uh, is, I think it's Sunday the 22nd. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while now, is uh, Love 828. So that's our big kind of fall outreach event. And so for, for one Sunday out of the year, instead of coming to church, we're going to go be the church, okay? So here's the game plan, and here's what we need from you. Uh, we're going to meet here at 9.15. That's the, usually our early service time. So for you 11 o'clockers, you're going to ha have to set the alarm a little bit earlier. Our 9.15ers are going to be totally fine. But, but, but we're going to show up right here at 9.15. Mike's going to lead us in just a couple of songs. I'm going to have just a quick kind of five-minute devotional and then we're going to flood our city just to be the hands and feet of Jesus in practical ways, serving within our community with some of our ministry partners. And it's going to be a, a, just a fabulous day of being the church, right? And so let me just encourage you, don't check out like, oh, man, we're not having a normal church, so I'm going to stay home and watch the NFL pregame show or whatever. No, no, no. Come on out and take part in serving our community in the name of Jesus. It's really going to be an awesome Sunday. I believe that. But here's what we need from you so that we can order the right number of T-shirts. You are going to get a cool T-shirt, right? So it's, that's always a bonus. We need you to register for that, okay? So many of you already did last week. We need more of you to register this week. So please go online. Uh, you can go to our website. It's in our, the New Life app. Uh, if you get our e-newsletter, The Loop, it's in there as well. Sign up. Now, you have to register each person. So if you're, like, for our family, we're a family of five. So I had to go in and register five different names. But it takes, like, five seconds. So it's, it's not a big deal. So please go ahead and register. Once we have all of the projects kind of lined up, uh, those will be sent out to you, and you'll get to choose what project you want to be a part of on that Sunday. But please register this week so we know how to plan for the 22nd. It's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, if you haven't been here uh, recently, or if maybe this is your first Sunday, we are right smack dab in the middle of a message series called Rhythms, Reclaiming the Paths of Abundance. And, and really what we're doing in this series is just kind of digging into the habits of Jesus, otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines, because the reality is this. Most of us want to experience the life Jesus experienced, Right? I mean, I don't think you would be here if, you, if that wasn't like a desire for you. Like we, we want to experience the communion that he had with the Father and the love and the peace and the joy that exuded from his life and the Holy Spirit power that was just all over his life. Like we want that, but, but, but here's the thing. If we want the life that Jesus lived, we have to practice the habits that he practiced. Like, it's, it's really that simple. Now, it's, it's very difficult to do that in your life, right? It's not easy, but it is simple. And so that's what we're really just kind of unpacking for five weeks together are these ancient rhythms, these ancient practices that Jesus modeled for us for our good. So we've been looking at things like silence and solitude. We've been looking at things like Sabbath and celebration. Last week, we looked at uh, prayer and fasting. And so, so many of you told me this past week that that, that that was your very first time fasting or your very first time fasting in a long time. And so we were, especially last Wednesday, a lot of us were fasting and praying for, for Tyler Ross as he went in for another cancer surgery. And I'm pleased to report that the surgery was an amazing success. They were able to get all the tumors out of both organs. And so, yeah, I think... 
it was the be best possible outcome that we could have prayed for. And I know that a lot of that had to do with the fact that so many of us were fasting and, and praying that God would hear our prayers and, and, and answer those prayers, and, and he did. And so now the, the, the thing is we're waiting on the grade of tumor. So we'll get the, the path report next week. And so uh, be praying that it's low grade so that he wouldn't have to have any more treatments. So that's kind of the, the next. So if you're gonna fast again uh, this week with me, I'll be fasting on Tuesday. Let's, let's fast and pray. Uh, for, for that. But man, amazing things that God's just kind of doing in our church body as we learn how to practice these ancient habits of Jesus that Christians have been doing for centuries and centuries and centuries. And today I'm going to introduce two more practices to you. They are simplicity and generosity. Simplicity and generosity. And uh, let's, let's pause just for a moment, ask for God's help as we dive into these topics today. God, we, we come to you and uh, I think for most of us, we'd have to confess our life is anything but simple. <laughs> our, our life feels so complex and so hurried and so rushed. And sometimes it's hard to even catch our breath and slow down enough to think about these practices that feel so archaic in some ways and so old-fashioned. And, and yet, God, they are offered to us uh, not as religious rituals, but as practices for life. Uh, that lead us into the path of abundant life and the good life that we're all after. And so God, would you uh, still our hearts and calm our minds? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place and this space to speak to us, to change us, to mold us into men and women, boys and girls who walk out of here more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask and we pray all these things. Amen. Now, we live in a cultural moment saturated by the motto, more is better. All right? More is better. Like, you've probably maybe even heard that this week. This is the cultural air that we breathe. This is the cultural water we swim in. We've become so accustomed to our obsession with stuff and possessions and money that we don't even realize that we've been infected with this this lethal disease that some sociologists have termed affluenza. We've become so affluent that it's become a disease in our culture. You may or may not know this, but we are the most affluent culture that has ever existed in human history. We have more stuff than any generation has ever had before us. And yet, by and large, studies show that we are less and less happy. Now, let me give you just a few statistics to drive home that point. Some of these may surprise you, some of them may not. Uh, but as a culture, as Americans, modern-day Americans, we now consume, listen to this, twice as many material goods as we did 50 years ago. Not 10% more, not 20%, twice as many as we did just 50 years ago. The average American home has tripled in size in the last 50 years while family sizes have shrunk to about half of what they once were. So our families are getting smaller, our houses are exploding, make it make sense. The average, this was a stunner for me, the average American home, not the ultra elite, the, the wealthy, the Wall Street guy, no, the, just the average everyday American home has, listen guys, over 300,000 items in it from paper clips to espresso machines. 300,000 items. U.S. children make up only 3.7% of the children worldwide, and yet American children own all of uh, own 47% of all toys in the world. 3% of the kids own 50% of the toys in the United States of America. I love this one. 25% of people who have a two-car garage do not have room to park either car inside due to the clutter. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, you know who you are. 32% only have room for one car in the two-car garage because of all their crap. My hand is up. <laughs> That's me. I can at least get one in, man. Uh, so I'm not like you sinners that can't get either car in, but, but I'm guilty too. Check this out. The average American now has upwards of $15,000 of credit card debt. Not per household, per person. That is a that is trillions of dollars in national debt. Staggering number. So listen, guys, we, we've got 
We've got more stuff than we've ever had. We shop more than we ever have. We've got bigger apartments and houses and homes than we've ever had. We've got more access to entertainment and fun things than we've ever had. And with it, study after study is showing us higher rates of anxiety, depression, and general discontentment. And so the question that has to be asked now is, what gives? Like, what are, we, what are we missing? Like, what is going on? Like, we got all this stuff that everybody says is gonna make us happy, and yet what we're seeing on the bell curve is all of the things we're after, peace, joy, satisfaction, purpose, all of it is plummeting. How on earth is that possible? The math does not add up. What I wanna do for the next few minutes is just give you a brief history of how we got here culturally, because it's not by accident that we've, we've gotten here over the last 50 years. John Mark uh, Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, points uh, this out in in just incredible detail. I don't have time to to jump into all the detail, but I do want to just give you a brief history snapshot so you understand where we're at, why we're here, before we dive into the teachings of Jesus. It wasn't until fairly recently that, as Americans, we began to define happiness based on how much money we make and how much stuff we own. In fact, you may not know this, but only a century ago, which in, in the grand scheme of things is, is really not that long ago, a century ago, about 90% of Americans were farmers. Today, only about 2% of Americans are farmers. After the great world wars, we saw an uptick in our country in the areas of urbanization and industrialization, which just means people began to leave the family farms to move into the cities to find higher paying jobs. And our economy, for the very first time, shifted from a needs-based buying system to a desire-based purchasing system. Now, this whole thing actually started with a famous psychologist that most of you have heard of called Sigmund Freud. He was actually the first thinker that challenged the enlightenment idea that humans at the core level are logical beings, right? So that was the idea out of the enlightenment that we as human beings are are enlightened now. We're very logical. We make logical decisions. And Freud challenged that idea and he said, no, 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 that's actually not true. Human beings make decisions primarily based on unconscious drives. And Freud argued that human beings are actually easily manipulated If you can tug on one of two unconscious drives, anybody guess what those are? Fear and desire. Fear and desire. So he argued that we're not logical by nature, but we're driven by these unconscious desires, primarily fear and desire. Now, unfortunately and sadly, the first people who adopted or put his theory to the test were the Nazis in the 1930s and early 1940s who used his theory to design their propaganda machine turning many ordinary Germans into monsters of hatred and war. In fact, his theory was so successful with the the Nazi regime that Freud's nephew, a guy who most of us have never even heard of by the name of Edward Bernays, actually became known as the father of American advertising. And his uncle's theory was so successful in wartime that he decided to bring that same theory to American shores as an economic experiment instead of a wartime experiment. He actually wrote a book on it called Propaganda. You can find it. And I want to just give you a quote from his book, Propaganda. This will be on the screens for you. So this, is, this is, should be pretty enlightening. He writes this, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and the social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. So this idea, birthed by Freud, repackaged by his nephew Bernays, was pitched to and adopted by business leaders in America with one central goal in mind, and it's this. Get Americans to buy more stuff. And our cultural ideas and and processes surrounding possessions and wealth was radically transformed from that day till this day. Victor Lebeau is an economist in the mid-1950s. He said this. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life that we convert the 
buying and use of goods into, listen to the spiritual religious language here. That we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals that we seek our spiritual satisfaction and our ego satisfaction in consumption and more and more stuff. We need things to be consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing rate. Another banker said this, we must shift America from a needs-based to a desired-based culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. How sinister and simultaneously brilliant. Now get this, the average American, uh, this may be shocking to you, now sees between four and 10,000 advertisements a day. Between your phone, your social media apps, your, the TV programs that you're watching, the Spotify channels that you're listening to, the radio channels in your car that you flip on, somewhere between four and 10,000 advertisements a day. Which is why, by the way, you and I want a new iPhone every single year, even though the one that you have works just fine. Right, they just came out with a new iPhone 15, did you hear? It's made out of titanium, you know, which means you should drop your phone that works perfectly well and spend $1,200 on a titanium phone. Or why you're now dissatisfied with your perfectly good kitchen because you saw a cooler, chic, modern one on Pinterest. We have been conditioned to live this way and we are now enslaved to materialism without even realizing what has happened to us as a culture. There's a Christian writer named Alan Fodling and he, he writes this, I'll share it with you, really good. He says, the drive to possess is an engine for hurry. And isn't that the truth? As we've been conditioned to want more and feel like we need more and we are consuming more, we've, we, we kinda ha that kind of pushes us to, to work harder and pick up an extra job and, and kind of constantly be hustling and pushing and it kind of crowds out the space in our lives for the good life, for the abundant life that Jesus promised. And because we are so hurried, chasing things that we're told will make us happy, we have crowded out pretty much all of the margin that actually leads to the abundant life. Things like peace, joy, simplicity, and happiness. So the question then becomes, is there, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that can free us from this enslavement? And the answer to that is yes. There, there actually are two practices from the way of Jesus that can free us from this enslavement. Simplicity and generosity. We're going to spend most of our time talking about the first, simplicity, and just take a, a minute to touch on the second, generosity. What's fascinating is as you study the Gospels and you examine the life of Jesus, one thing becomes astonishingly clear about Christ. The man who had very little in the way of earthly possessions had everything that he needed to live the abundant life. Isn't that fascinating? The man who we, we literally are singing about, worshiping as the divine man, God in, wrapped in human flesh. The man that we pattern our lives after, we give our lives to, trust our souls to. Very little in the way of earthly possessions, and yet everything he needed for the abundant life, which should say something to us. One of the ways Jesus modeled the abundant life was through the practice of simplicity. So let me define simplicity for us couple of definitions. The first one is by Richard Foster who's written on a simplicity extensively. This is his uh, def definition for it. Foster writes, simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. He goes on to say, simplicity is freedom. John Mark Comer, simplicity is limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. Put another way, simplicity is the invitation to prioritize a life filled with Jesus and his kingdom instead of stuff. So the question then is, man, how, how do we spend less? How do we buy less? How do we crave less? How do we do less for the sake of giving more of our lives away to the things that really matter instead of the things that crush our souls? Now, Jesus had a lot to say about money and possessions, right? Some scholars actually estimate that 25% of his public teachings revolved around the subjects of possession and wealth. Now, imagine if we did that at New Life once a month. Here's your monthly sermon on money, y'all. We're gonna pass the plates, right? Half of you guys would just slide down to the next church down the road, right? 
But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't after their money. I'm convinced of that. But here's the deal. He was after their hearts. And he knew that the great rival for their hearts was their stuff. It's been said by some wise person that we spend our lives buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And isn't that the American dream? Isn't that the American motto? We, that's why Amazon is a multi-billion dollar business, right? We're buying crap we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that frankly we don't even like. Make it make sense. So, if you want off the hamster wheel of the endless chase for more, bigger, better, I want to invite you to dial into this incredible teaching from Jesus in Luke chapter 12. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go there, open it up, go to your app, your Bible app on your phone or your iPad, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. It's an amazing interaction between Jesus and this other person in a crowd. And I think we have much to learn from his teaching on this. Starting in verse 13, someone from the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, now notice that this person is asking Jesus a seemingly pretty innocuous question about an inheritance dispute, right? Like when I read it, I was like, oh, this seems like not that big of a deal to ask Jesus this kind of question. It was common for people to take these types of questions to rabbis in the first century. But Jesus, being who he is, sees right to the heart of the man and identifies the ultimate root issue as one of greed. Now, here's the thing about greed. Most of us don't think of ourselves as greedy, right? If I, like if I were to ask you guys, if you struggle with greed, like most of you would probably not raise your hands. But here's the definition of greed. Greed is just an insatiable desire for more and more stuff. And when you define it that way, most of us would have to raise our hands, myself included. Because I'm not immune to the new titanium iPhone 15 pool, right? Or the new Air Jordans or the newer car or whatever it is. It's something that we all struggle with. And Jesus identifies this as a root issue in this man's heart. Look at his answer in verse 14. He says to him, friend, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, this is not why I came. It's not, not my job to settle inheritance disputes. Verse 15, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all there. That word is again, greed. Because one, and this is beautiful, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now I want you to notice the double warning Jesus gives here. He says, watch out and be on guard. That's his way of bolding and highlighting something in his teachings. Watch out, be on guard. Why, Jesus? Because life is not found in the abundance of your wealth or your stuff or your possessions or your bigger house or your fancier car or your newer iPhone or your whatever, Pinterest-worthy kitchen. And Jesus is really gonna drive it home with a parable now. Look at verse 16. He told them a parable saying, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, and I want you to notice as this rich guy talks to himself in his thought patterns, notice the me language that's present here. Notice the eyes, the me's, the my's, the minds. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many good stored up for many years take it easy eat drink and enjoy yourself by the way is that not the american dream work hard make a lot of money get an early retirement go sit on the beach for the last 30 years of your life that's the american dream well what does god think about it verse 20 but god said to him you fool this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Ugh. I don't know if that cuts you like it cuts me, but that cuts right to the heart of our entire culture and our system of ethics around possessions and money in our culture. 
What Jesus is saying here is that, listen, abundant life is not found in the bigger house or the swankier apartment downtown or the kitchen remodel or the newer car or the bulging bank account or the newest fashion trend that your favorite Instagram influencer is currently pushing, but in a life of simplistic joy while investing richly in the things of God. Now, one caveat to all of that, Jesus is not saying here that it's wrong to possess or save. So if you're new here, you should know, like, we, we don't believe in a poverty theology here at New Life any more than we preach a prosperity gospel theology. Both are miss the mark of the heart of Jesus. I believe we should enjoy our homes and our apartments and our clothes and our food and our vehicles as good gifts from a good heavenly father. Savings is a principle found right in the pages of Scripture. Go read the book of Proverbs, for instance. He's not saying that possessing or saving is wrong. He's simply saying this. Listen, you're not going to find the good life in any of those things. Like, none of, none of those things are going are to make you happy or enliven your soul. And for most of us who have chased those things for any length of time in our lives, we, we know that that's true. And yet we still are kind of on this endless hamster wheel of trying to find satisfaction and pleasure and hope in all of these things, even though we realize from our own experience that it actually doesn't work. I love this quote from Chesterton, says this, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Isn't that good? Two ways, two ways to get enough. One is to stay on the hamster wheel of newer, bigger, better, constantly pursuing more things. And the other is just simply to desire less, to be satisfied with what God has given you and pursue things that matter more in life. Listen to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. is explaining the parable of the sower. It says this, but the cares of the world and the, de- listen to this, the deceitfulness of riches. What's the danger of riches? They can deceive our hearts. And the desire for other things, possessions, the iPhones, the whatever it is for you, right? Other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful in our lives. Jesus, again, in Matthew 6, says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to this. You cannot serve God and what? Money. Or stuff. Hebrews 13 Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul, writing to a young pastor named Timothy, says this, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. How many of you could honestly say that today? That if God were to strip you from everything that you have except for Food to eat for today, not tomorrow, not next week, but for today, and the clothes on your back that you would be content and not shake your fist in the face of Almighty God like he somehow shortchanged you in life. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, now quick disclaimer, I'm not moving this uh, teaching to any weird place. Like, I'm not gonna pass the plates at the end of the service. There's no aha moment. We're not launching a financial campaign today. So you can relax. I'm I'm not after your money, but I am convinced that Jesus is after your heart. And for him to get our hearts, oftentimes he has to get through our stuff. We're just saying this is a good way for us to live by practicing the ways of Jesus. Choosing simplicity over the never-ending chase for newer, bigger, better, more. Now, I just want to say this by way of confession so you know that I'm not immune to this. Don't think I'm up here as some kind of monk that's kind of figured out a vow of simplicity and I've got it all figured out. I'm it's kind of embarrassing for me to tell this story, but I found that you guys revel in my embarrassment. And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell it. When, when we moved into our house, my wife and I, 11 years ago, um, I allowed myself one splurge when we, when we moved in, and, and Cheryl gave me the green light. But I wanted, I wanted a big screen TV 
so I could watch my football games, right? That was my thing. She was like, all right, cool. You can get the big screen. So I go, and remember, this is 11 years ago. So at the time, this was massive. I think, I, I think it was a 55-inch TV, right? Now that's nothing, right? You can get an 80-inch, you know, at Sam's for like 500 bucks. But back then, that was like a huge deal, like a 50, 55-inch screen TV. And man, I, I've loved that thing. I still, I, watch, I was watching football games on it yesterday, right? I'll be watching football games on it again this afternoon. I, I've loved that TV, and I have never once felt inferior about my TV game. Until about six months ago, I had somebody come over, hang out at my house, and he leans over in the middle of the game, and he goes, hey, man, you know that wall right there could really hold like a 65 to 70-inch screen TV. And my first thought was, that's ridiculous, man. Like, I am totally satisfied with my 55-inch screen TV. And he left, and I started thinking. And I go over, and I'm like... Get my me- I literally went and got my measuring tape. <laughs> and I'm like, and then two weeks ago, I find myself on Amazon on the electronics department looking at 70-inch screen TVs. I don't need a stinking 70-inch TV. I've got a 55 that works just fine. What's going on there? Now, by the way, I didn't buy it. I might buy it next week. Don't judge me. But I, <laughs> I had two people after the first service like, man, just buy the TV. It's all good. God's good. Like, is this a word from the Lord? I don't... I don't know. Talk to my wife. Talk to my wife. Ah, I say all of that to say, man, I am not immune to this. Man, I like shiny new things. I love cars and gadgets and phones and TVs. And man, you name it, I love it. I have a hunger and an appetite for these things just like you do. Which again is why Jesus says, watch out. Like, watch out. Be on your guard. That's why he says, man, th- this stuff is a competing master for your heart. And it's going to promise you the world, but it's going to deliver you anxiety and trouble and hurry and high blood pressure and a wasted life. So I just want you to see this morning that simplicity is not about living with nothing. It's about living with less so that we can make room for the things that actually matter most. Peace, joy, generosity, simplicity, the way of Jesus, the abundant life. This is why, by the way, Jesus taught radical things in Acts 20. Things like, and you've heard this teaching, it is more blessed to give than receive. The opposite of what we hear in our culture today. Interestingly, that Greek word that Jesus used for for blessed there can actually be translated happy or happier. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, it's gonna make you happier if you practice giving, then accumulating things in your life. You want to be happy, learn how to be a simple, generous person, not a consumer of goods. Now, if you've ever given somebody something of great value that was a great sacrifice to you, whether it was your time or your money or some great possession, you know that the feeling that you get when you give something of great value to someone else, man, that that feeling, isn't it so much better than just kind of like the quick Amazon dopamine hit when we get the, you know, cappuccino machine that's got the Bluetooth thing or whatever. Like, it's so much better, isn't it? So like, this is not even like a, Jesus is not even like commanding it. Jesus is just saying, hey, look, this is the way I've structured the universe to work. So if you want to be happy, if you want to have the abundant life, learn to live within the stream of how I've created things. Because if you buck against the natural order of the universe, you're going to find yourself in all kinds of issues and anxiety and depression and discontentedness. This is just a kingdom principle that he's giving us. In a sense, it's a cheat code to the abundant life. And I would say that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you would be a fool to brush this teaching off because deep down, I think we all know that it's true. Henry David Thoreau, so... You guys probably studied uh, his poems in English Lit in middle school or high school. Um, I didn't know this about him until this week, but he actually did uh, an experiment in his life on simple living. And so he moved out of the city that he was in and he moved out into the woods for like two years and two months or something. I was thinking like, man, I would do two weeks. Homie did two years. He moved out in the woods, you know, just to see what it was like to live a very simple life. And he came back and he had a lot to say about it, wrote tons of stuff about it. But this is one thing that, he, that really caught my attention. He said this, it'll be on the screens for you. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three and not a hundred or a thousand. Why should we live with such hurry 
and a waste of life. Mm, these ancient practices like simplicity. Listen, guys, these things apply not just to our stuff, but also, listen, listen, to our time and our schedules. Because how many of us live on the tightrope of running from one commitment to the next meeting, to the next event, to the next extracurricular activity for one of our kids? And listen, guys, we end up spent, just wasted. Like no margin for simplicity, generosity, Sabbath, prayer, silence. All of the stuff that actually invites us into the abundant life of Jesus. What a tragedy. And it doesn't have to be that way for me or for you. Jesus has a better way. Let me give you the big idea on the screens for you and we'll, we'll move on. As disciples of Jesus... We must learn to limit what we own so we can give from what we have, leading to a fuller life and a deeper joy. To a fuller life and a deeper joy, which is, by the way, what we're all chasing in life. And we, we try to find it in all these things and Amazon and whatever else, and we can't find it there because it's not there. Now, let me just say this. Simplicity ought to overflow into generosity, okay? So those are siblings in the kingdom of Jesus. Simplicity should always be connected to generosity. So we don't live a simple life so we can just stash away more for ourselves. We live a simple life so we can be more extravagantly generous in the kingdom of Jesus. We simplify so we can be more generous. Now here's, here's why that's, that's the, tr the case. And I think in a sense, it's this. Jesus' antidote to the disease of greed is giving. Say that again. Jesus' antidote to the disease of greed in your heart and my heart and it's present, whether you realize it or not, it's there. The antidote to that disease is giving. It's generosity. That's why he taught these countercultural things, like it's more blessed to give than to receive. We also see this ancient practice of generosity as a DNA stamp in the early church, right, in the book of Acts. So Jesus resurrects from the, the dead. He appears to people and preaches for 40 days. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit and empowers the church. The early church is spreading like wildfire all over the Roman Empire. And the book of Acts gives us a couple of really beautiful snapshots of the early church, the people of Jesus, what they were about and what their lives looked like, what their practice was. I want to share a couple of those beautiful snapshots with you. Look at Acts 2. It says this, the early Christians... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which are recorded for us in the Bible now, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now look two chapters over in Acts chapter 4. Early church again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Man, that it could be said of the American church today. That there was not a needy person among them because they practiced the art of simplicity and generosity. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and bought the proceeds, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had any need. The early church was living out radical ideas and philosophies like Hebrews 13, which says this, don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. And so the ancient practice of simplicity leads us to the kingdom practice of generosity. And I'm, I'm, I must tell you, because I don't want you to have a, a falsely high view of where I'm at with all this stuff. I must, I must tell you, studying this week was incredibly convicting to me. But like in no way have I or my family come close to mastering the practices of simplicity and generosity. Now, Cheryl and I made a commitment 19 years ago 
when we got married that we were always going to give away a minimum of 10% of everything that we had to the kingdom of Jesus, even when we didn't have it. We've always stayed faithful that, to that commitment, even when it didn't make sense on a budget. It didn't make sense from a mathematical standpoint. And I can't explain it to you, but God always provided for us. We've never gone hungry. We've never missed a bill. And I just say all that to say you can trust God with your money. You can trust God with your generosity. Um, but with that said, I think man, even as a family, we're just now beginning to like scratch the surface of what these beautiful practices are of simplicity and generosity that lead to ultimately the abundant life. And so I hope, my hope is that as a church family, if this is kind of new to you as it is for me, that we can uh, kind of go like on this journey together a little bit and experiment things and try new things and find new pockets of joy as we learn to live in the upside down kingdom of Jesus and practice his ways in our own lives. Now I want to close with some words from Jesus in Matthew chapter six. Jesus, the master of the arts of simplicity and generosity, he says this, good word for us today. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes or your rent or your medical bills or your new tires that you need on your car? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned or dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And watch, this is a gold mine in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're so worried about will be taken care of. He'll provide your needs for, for all the things that you need. Keep your mind and your heart's attention focused on Jesus and his kingdom. With your time, with your energy, with your resources, with your possessions, with your money, he'll take care of the rest. There's an awesome prayer uh, from a guy named Adam Hamilton who wrote a book on simplicity. And I just want to share this prayer. If you want to screenshot it, I th thought it was awesome. Maybe you want to pray this every day. And it's this, Lord, Help me to be grateful for what I have, to remember that I don't need most of what I want, and that joy is found in simplicity and generosity. Now, I want to give you um, just a few, as I've studied this, best practices for um, implementing simplicity and generosity in your life. Here they are, really quickly. We don't have a lot of time. But listen, if you, if you don't have a budget, get a budget, all right? <laughs> If, you're, if you don't have a budget, make, make a budget. There's a bazillion apps out there. There's no excuse to not have a budget. If, you ha if you're like me and Cheryl, you have a budget, but you're not sticking to your budget, stick to your budget, <laughs> all right? Now, here's the principle I give to, to in my premarital counseling to young couples about to get married. Strive for the 80-10-10 rule. And that is strive to live off of 80% of what you make, give away 10% into the kingdom of God, and save 10%. Now, if you say, Chris, that's impossible, cool. Start with 95.5. Just start somewhere and begin to work your way to that. Maybe that's the goal, 80-10-10. But find a, find a way to make a budget and stick to it. You, you will not live a simple life or a generous life if you're not on a budget. That's just a fact. Second principle, learn to borrow when you can instead of buy, all right? So I had this experience just a couple of weeks ago. I'm looking at my driveway. There's all kinds of like black mold and stuff on it. I'm like, man, I could go to Lowe's, buy a pressure washer for $350. But I'm like, my dad has a pressure washer. I'm just gonna hit him up and get his pressure washer for free and give it back, right? So find ways instead of buying everything. Like every once in a while, I like going to the lake on a boat. Guess what? I got two friends with a boat. All right, I got two people I know in my life that were dumb enough to buy a boat. And so I'm gonna use their boat and I'm gonna save about 20 grand and, and I'm not gonna go into debt, all right? So be smart, not dumb like people who own a boat. Just kidding. If you own a boat, I'm just kidding. You're probably smart too. All right, uh, eliminate debt. 
It's a huge one. We just talked about most Americans, $15,000 of credit card debt per person. That's insane. You are a slave to debt. You cannot be generous when you're a slave to debt. So put a plan together, eliminate debt, get rid of it. Uh, The next one is practice a purchase waiting period. This is one of the most creative ones I came across. But basically, when you're scrolling through Amazon and you see that nice new throw rug or whatever it is, instead of just kind of hitting the the purchase button, make yourself wait three days. If If you still want it after 72 hours, buy it, all right? But the reality is, for most of us, oftentimes if we wait 72 hours, we're like, eh, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> I don't really want it anymore. It's not really that big of a deal. But most of us just impulse buy. So put some practices in place that will keep you from impulse buying. Put a three-day waiting period on any purchase. All right? The next one is, and I, we did that this summer, and I, it was awesome. Purge anything you haven't used in a year. I know some of y'all are hoarders. You got stuff from 1937 sitting in your basement, man. You, if you hadn't used it in the last year, listen, you don't need it. Get rid of it. Man, we, got, we, we went through our closet. Somebody's with me, all right? Cheryl and, I, Cheryl and I went through our closet this summer while I was on sabbatical, man. We had like three truckloads of crap that we got rid of, and it felt awesome it was amazing right we took it to goodwill and donated it to places and people that could actually use some of the stuff so um man great practice and then the last one is simply practice giving like make it a a routine in your life here's what i've discovered guys if you wait until you feel like you have enough margin in your financial life to give you'll never give you'll never give you will never feel like you have enough financial margin to be generous in your life This is an area we call faith, where we trust God and we give him a percentage or an amount of our money. We invest it into his kingdom and we trust him to come through with our basic needs. And as someone who's been practicing this with my family for the last 20 years, I can tell you it absolutely, God is good on his promise. So practice giving. Don't wait till you feel like you got extra. You're never gonna start being generous. It's just not the way it works. So, Let's finish. Homework time. Three, three things, three assignments, really easy. I hope they'll actually be fun um, as well. Number one, here's your assignment. Possession, purge something this week in your house. It could be a closet. It could be a pantry. It could be your garage. Just choose something and purge the mess out of that. Get rid of some of that 300,000 items that you have in your house. Get it down to 250 or something, right? Something more reasonable, Practice a purchase pause. Now, for you, those of you who are bold, I would challenge you to do it all week, starting today until next Sunday. For those of you who just can't do it, just do it one day. And by that I mean you're making a commitment to buy nothing except the necessities. So gas in your car, food to feed your kids, but no, no Amazon scrolling, no goofy buy, no new iPhone 15, just your basics, right? So practice a purchase pause. If you're bold, all week, if you're kind of weak, one, one, day, one day a week. All right, and then the last one is my favorite one, is create a blessing project, right? So I, me and my family, my kids, we talked about this yesterday. Craft this into your budget. It could be $15 a month, $20 a month, but you together can kind of decide, man, like who are we gonna bless this month? Like just secretly, not gonna put our names on it. Maybe it's a single mom down the road. Maybe it's an elderly person in our apartment complex, and we're just gonna, we're not gonna put our name on it. We're just gonna put that $20 bill, $100 bill, what if you're rich, $1,000, whatever, and we're gonna, we're gonna slide that under their door and disappear and just love every second of it. Just think about, God, how excited are they gonna be when they open that up and I get to be a part of God meeting their needs. Like, that's so much better than a new iPhone. And just learn how to practice generosity and make it a habit in your personal life, in your marriage with your family. Again, if if you don't have a lot of money, cool. Start with $5. Pay for the guy's coffee in Starbucks right behind you, whatever it is. So that's your homework assignment. Three things, easy things. I think God will bless you. You'll grow in your walk with him as you do those things. And remember, guys, with all the disciplines, these are a means to an end. This is not a religious checklist. This is a means to an end, and the end is to know and enjoy Jesus more and more. Don't be invited to bite your heads, uh, bow your heads, and 
We're going to spend some time in prayer, and then we're going to sing as we close. And I want to just invite you to ask yourself one, one question right now. Maybe ask, ask God to reveal this to you. Here, here's the question as we close. Have I believed the lie that more stuff equals more happiness? Just ask yourself that question. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the answer to that question in your heart. Have I believed the lie that more stuff, more money, a bigger salary, newer car, bigger apartment, whatever it is, have I believed the lie that that is actually going to lead to more happiness in my life? Just listen to the Holy Spirit for a minute. Now, if you would have to answer yes to that question, as I have to do so often, yes, I believe the lie. Just ask God to begin to eradicate that disease in your heart. To begin to replace that with a passion to simplify your life and to live more generously in his kingdom. Father, we ask, I ask specifically for the person, maybe in the room, maybe the person watching online who hasn't received the most generous of gifts, and that is a relationship with you through your son, Jesus that today would be the day they accept the most generous gift in world history, that they would begin a journey and a walk with you through Jesus. That they would turn from their life of sin and their life of doing things their way to stepping into the upside down kingdom of Jesus, into his abundant life, into all these practices that lead to the good life so that they would be led by the Holy Spirit, God, and they would get to taste your goodness, not just in heaven one day, but right now on earth. That they would just pray that prayer in their hearts. That you would save them right here and right now. And God, I pray for those of us who already know you, but have been so deceived by our culture of wealth and materialism and stuff, God. Would you help us see clearly the lies that are swirling all around us to realize that more stuff and more money is not going to lead to more happiness? Actually, everything is showing us that it leads to the opposite. More anxiety, more depression, more discontent. So God, would you teach us to find our hope, our purpose, our satisfaction in you and walking in your ways? We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.